0: Well, let's take a moment, let's bow our heads, let's pray, and then we'll jump in. Father, so thankful for your mercy in our lives, and thankful God for a book like Deuteronomy that displays your holiness, and your goodness, and the fact that you offer to the people of Israel a means of intimacy with you, and Father, that you desire good things for them, to bless them and not to curse them, to give them a life that they would have never had before you are their deliverer you are their savior and father we thank you for the same that we have through jesus christ we pray in his name amen okay so here's what we've been looking at is uh we are taking a break necessarily from the content of what we've been studying through in deuteronomy and we are looking at the structure of what we are uh doing in deuteronomy now all you latecomers here do you guys need papers oh man <laughs> Listen to all this. Whew. Mitch is going to have to edit like 20 minutes of silence on the. And real quick, if you want to catch up with the, what we've had before, yes, if you want to catch up with where we've been before in Deuteronomy, it is not a link you can get to on the website. You have to actually type it in. So you'll do gbcportage.com slash D-E-U-T and it will bring you to uh, the point where you can listen to all the previous teachings that we've gone through in Deuteronomy so far. So now, this is going to be kind of a general thing, but what I want to do is I want us to look at our small paper here. And let's discuss real quick the description of what is an inclusio. What is an inclusio? When we talk about the structure that scripture was written in, this is a literary device that is able to be used. So let's read it. An inclusio is a literary device that marks off a section of material by putting bookends at the beginning and end. This literary device alerts the reader to look at everything between the two similar or identical in this case, statements as a single unit of thought. In English, we would say paragraph. That's usually how we would word that. If it's something longer, we would say chapter. The chapter is the unit of thought. Remember, originally, we don't have chapters and verses that are, that are here, and the way a lot of our Bibles are done sometimes, it's the two columns real small on one page, and you're trying to figure out what all it is The formatting on it doesn't really help you reading wise. In fact, chapters and verses can sometimes cause your mind to make a break where it doesn't need to be. Now, how do we have an evidence of that? Well, number one, we're starting this inclusio in chapter 3, 26, and it stretches all the way to 4, 21. That's an inclusio. And the reason is, is because the similarity of phrase, the phrase is, but the Lord was angry with me on your account. Go all the way down here to 21. Now the Lord was angry with me on your account. These serve as the bookends. And the information in between is vitally important, making up one unit of thought. Now, in our study that we did, we read through the whole thing, but where we stopped really kind of marking everything was around verse 15. 15 through 21 chapter 4 15 through 21 did anybody work on this after deuteronomy and i'm going to suppose you did because a lot of you that had papers last week don't have them now and i'm sure it's because they're laid out on your kitchen table and you've got your concordance and your bible dictionary and your bible out and pens and and if you're like jamie you got colored pens or crayons or whatever you're using to mark up the text and observe everything that you see right okay And so you can't answer my question because you left your paper home with all that stuff on it you didn't remember it, right? So the Lord didn't leave an impression on your mind about what you studied, but... No, did anybody study anything else on this and note some similarities, some things that went together, where the units of thought were? Did anybody find anything that you stumbled upon you like, whoa, okay, wait a second, I'm starting to see it. Anybody? No one. Okay, Leland wasn't here, he gets a pass. Wasn't here, okay. <laughs> and he didn't share his paper. I wasn't. Okay, he didn't share his paper, okay. So, so you weren't here. That's your excuse. And then you're heaping guilt on someone else. Doubly justifies you. That's great. How about this? Does everybody remember that when we saw in uh, chapter four, verse one, and chapter four, verse five, the statutes and judgments? Does everybody remember that? What did that do for us? Anybody remember? It was another inclusio inside of the larger inclusio. Does everybody see how that works? And if you remember off to the side out here, we ended up writing down a lot of things about what we were dealing with so far, right? So listen to the statutes and judgments. Then there is a testimony to the nations of what was going on. And then we learned here from chapter 4 verse 10, to chapter 4 verse 12 there was a second history lesson that took place now i want to show your attention to this because it's very important for what we are dealing with if idolatry was the major problem that was going in in egypt and if you're familiar with the rest of the old testament throughout the time of the major prophets especially what was the problem of israel idolatry right Where did they get that from? They got it from the trappings of Egypt and then it was passed on and on and on. Why does God make such comments as, and you will tell this to your son and your son's son after you? Why does he do that? Because he is trying to set a new precedence for the legacy of holiness with Yahweh, that relationship, and not perpetuating pagan, fruitless idolatry. Does everybody see that? The failing to pass it on is what brought the idolatry forward. Our hearts are always in a greater propensity towards sin than they are righteousness because the Lord goes to the wayside. We can't afford to do that. We can't afford to live life like that. This is the definition of wisdom. Israel's mistakes and how they led their lives. Let's learn from them and not make those same mistakes. So down through here, and you don't have to follow up on the screen. I know it could probably make you sick after a while you look at it. But I want to show you this. Look at verse 10. Remember the day you stood before Yahweh, your Elohim, at Horeb, when the Lord said to me, when Yahweh said to me, assemble the people to me, that I may let them hear my words. Does everybody remember that? Let them hear my words, right? And there are two reasons why that was to happen. So that they may learn to, number one, Fear me. Reverence. All the days they live on the earth. And notice the second one here in verse 10. Number two. That they may what? Teach their children. There's this legacy aspect. Now notice what the focus is here. Let them hear my words. We're going to be talking about this next week in the giving of the law. The ten words. The ten commandments. It is the audible voice of Yahweh and notice that he gives the reason why what was God trying to accomplish in fact you guys don't even need to come to church next Sunday because a lot of what I'm talking about then is going to be rehashing what we're talking about here it just happens to line up where we are but the whole idea is is number one God wants people to fear him how many people have a problem with that when you think about it Okay. Okay. Fear you want to run away from. Okay. Respect. Sometimes it's translated revere, revere highly. We think, Colleen. Reverence would be a good word to use. Is it a bad thing to be scared of Yahweh? Actually, it's not. In fact, it's because of the fear that we know comes from discipline of, of sinful situations. And we know, we, we completely believe, yeah, God is real. Yeah, God does work in my life. Yeah, this, yeah. He's my father. If you know that your father is going to possibly discipline you for your sin, think it might cause you to keep away from sin? In that aspect, fear's healthy, isn't it? In fact, God does not want his kids to sin. Do you realize that? I know that's like, duh, right? (laughs) But think about it. God doesn't want us sinning. And sometimes, oh, well, we sin every day. Hey, how are you doing in your Christian walk? Well, not as good as I should, right? That's like every person you talk to when you ask that question. Oh, I'm being held accountable. Here we go. Not as good as I should. You know, has your reply ever been, well, you know what? I'm doing way better than I thought I would ever do. Less sin. Woo! Lord's answering prayers right and left. Open up my mailbox. Had a candy bar in it. He loves me so much. Is that? No. Notice it's a, So, so this whole idea, it kind of skews the idea of there is a God that you are answerable to and he wants you to fear him. And so what does he do for the children of Israel? Everybody gather up at the bottom of this mountain. And I am going to audibly speak, and you will hear it. And I wanted to put a fear in you away from sin and towards reverence for me. And I want you to pass along to your children that you heard me speak. And we're going to look at this next week. But remember, at the end, when he got done with the Ten Commandments, remember the response of the people. Don't ever let him speak to us again, Moses. If Yahweh talks to us again, we'll die. Man, if you ever want something to meditate on just about the Lord, think about the reaction of the people when they heard God speak. If he speaks to me again, I'll die. That's what he's trying to get across in this situation. This is the history lesson that he brings in. Verse 11, you came near. You stood at the foot of the mountain and the mountain burned with fire to the very heart of the heavens, darkness, cloud, and thick gloom. Verse 12, then Yahweh spoke to you From the midst of the fire, you heard the sound of words. Notice that. You heard the sound of words, but, and this is important because it shows what they're trying to get across, you saw no form, only a voice. Now, think for a second. We talked about this a little bit when we covered it in general. Why is that so important? Why is it important that they saw no form, they only heard the voice? Because they would make an idol out of it. Why do you think no, one, no one's been able to excavate, 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 the remains of Noah's ark off of Mount Ararat? Because they'd make it an idol. How come we don't have the actual document that John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, set down to write revelation on that parchment? How come we don't have that today? Because we'd worship it. In in Nashville, Tennessee, there is a one-fourth size model that is a replica of the Parthenon. And inside that Parthenon, that's the replica there close to Vanderbilt, you walk in and there is this statue of the goddess Diana in there. And she is a many-breasted god, essentially what it is, with her hands outstretched. And what is interesting to see her in the midst of that is people have left presents and offerings. In Nashville, Tennessee. Now, country music doesn't drive you to do that. But Satan does. You see what I'm saying? So it's interesting to see. Don't don't think that we're so far, oh, well, that's just how they lived back then. We're so far beyond that. We're not. It's the same people. We just manifest it in different ways. The reason why we don't have a lot of those things is because we would worship it. And if there was an image of a burning bush, we would surely contract Thomas Kincaid in order to... Paint something that had to do with the burning bush. Why is that? Because our eyes need to feast on something in order to worship it. No, 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 no. The scriptures paint it differently. Moses commands differently. What's that? Or the tomb? Or the tomb. Or the tomb. How many people think that that's really Jesus' tomb over there? You know what? We should all take a trip and see. <laughs> no, but for real. You think people worship there? How many people go over there and get baptized in the Jordan just because it's the Jordan? Okay they do that now is that necessarily a wrong thing Mm -hmm. how many people how many people south of kentucky think that jesus has white skin and blue eyes you see what i'm saying and it's all because of the polaroids that peter brought back from those instances right (laughs) But you see what I'm saying? People can get insane with those types of things. And we constantly want to formulate what we think God is. How many of us, when we pray, we think that God has actually got a long white beard and kind of a flowy dress robe kind of thing on, and he kind of just hovers everywhere. Some people do. Tom? Yeah, probably Tom. Yeah. Tom probably thinks that. But but you see what I'm saying? There's a lot that we try to ascribe to give us a frame of reference for worship. And Moses and Yahweh discourage that because they want us to get one thing. This right here. Only a voice. And why? Here's the reason why. If we want to know how we're to know God and how we're properly to worship God, and what our minds are to be set upon in worshiping God. It is his word, his word, his word. Now, am I saying that we worship our Bibles that we have? No, that's not what I'm saying. But our Bibles are the word of God. They've been given to us to display truth. I'm not saying don't ever hurt the leather on this or whatever. No, no, we're not saying that. But what we're saying is the promises of God have been given, and that's all we need to focus on is the content of our worship. Now, moving forward here, verse 13. So he declared to you his covenant. What's another name for a covenant? Contract. It's an agreement. What he commanded you to do what? Verse 13. Come on, church. To perform. To perform it. That is the Ten Commandments, or the Ten Words is what they're known as. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. One for Israel... One for Yahweh. Just like the bank. We have a contract. We have an agreement. And remember, what makes the Mosaic covenant different from all the rest of the covenants of God is that it's conditional in nature. If you will worship me, bow down to me, and reverence me, I will protect you provide for you and sustain you and I will keep you in the land and I will make you fruitful. That's the agreement that is going on in that contract. Don't be surprised. And I know this is crazy to say because we're 70 years on the other side of it. Don't be surprised if the Jews are dispersed from the land of Israel once again. Is that a little controversial? Are they they there in belief or unbelief? Okay, so we know that Yahweh can't be totally happy with them right now, right? We know that that can't be the scene right now. In fact, we see that when we gathers them back in, he will remove the heart of stone and put within them a heart of flesh, and he will be their God, and they will be his people, right? So the idea is them coming back, being a regenerate bunch is the idea. Uh, It could possibly be the millennium, but we know there's at least 144,000 during the tribulation that are preachers of the gospel. Those aren't J-dubs, by the way. Those are Jews. Just making sure everybody knows. Tom said, I tried calling you the other day that J-dubs were heading down your street. (laughs) Thank you, City Lookout. I appreciate that. (laughs) So anyway, funny stuff. But it could happen. It's happened before. In fact, if we know our Old Testament, it's happened a few times before. What about the judges? The time of the judges? Hey, we're worshiping Yahweh. Great, bringing you in the land. Everything's going to be prosperous. That's great. Now we're getting away and we didn't pass it on to our kids, which is the whole problem we're going on here. And so the next generation goes astray. God raises up their enemies to come in and to discipline them in order to purify them, to get them back on the right track, to humble them. And in doing so, they're led off captivity. God then raises up a judge to set them free after the people cry out because of their disobedience and brings them back into the land. God can do it. God has no problem disciplining his people. He has no problem doing that. So it's something to think about, and here's what you're going to find. Why are we studying Deuteronomy anyway? Because if you're familiar with Genesis, and if you're familiar with Deuteronomy, you can discern the entire Old Testament. All of the judgments that happened to Israel actually come from the book of Deuteronomy. Why? For their unfaithfulness. That's why. All the blessings that they receive when they're being faithful, it was all written down in Deuteronomy. God gave them a perfect structure. Here's how you live in a society that causes the nations to take notice of the great God that you serve. It is a witness to people. So moving on here. Notice that you will perform them. It's a conditional covenant. Verse 14, the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments. Notice the mention of statutes and judgments again. Could that possibly match up anywhere? It could go up to verse one, right? It could go up to verse 5. Notice that there's a reply of that. Look up at verse 8 real quick. Or what nation is there that has statutes and judgments that is as righteous as these? So notice we have all of this common language. Could this act as inclusios inside of inclusios? Yes, very much so. Sorry. Drawing stuff. Um. Is that good? Statutes and judgments, little brackets there. I'm sorry, it's not clear. I don't know how to make it. Come on. Yeah, I just bracketed it. Just to keep. There you go. Is that better? No? Good grief. All right, just leave it there. Hey, it was 99 bucks, okay? (laughs) I thought, what a steal, all right? So I was excited about it. All right, moving on here. Uh, Verse 15, now notice, here is the warning. This begins a warning, okay? I'm gonna write it here at the top. We'll see how far it goes and what all it entails. Here is the warning that we have. I'm just writing it off to the side. You can't see it, but here we go. 15, so watch yourselves carefully. Since you did not see what? Any form, exactly what we dealt with in verse 12. You didn't see any form on that day that Yahweh spoke to you, notice Yahweh spoke audibly to you at Horeb from the midst of the fire, so that, here's the reason why, you do not act corruptly and make a graven image for yourself in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, those are things created on the earth. Notice the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the sky, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that's in the water below the earth. Notice those are created things being animals. It's all created things. Verse 19, and beware not to lift up your eyes to heaven and see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the hosts of heaven, that includes angels and demons, and be, key little phrase here, drawn away and worship them and serve them in fact here's what's interesting whenever Pharaoh tells Moses get your people and get out and go worship your God uh, in Exodus the word there is actually not worship it's actually serve. go and serve your God worship and serve there's a lot to be said now that shouldn't be that shouldn't be surprising to us even Jesus said, if you love me you'll do what you'll keep my commandments you'll serve him you'll be doing in my name is the idea if you love him you'll be doing so notice here drawn away worship and serve him those which Yahweh your Elohim has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven in other words don't worship anything created on earth don't worship anything created in heaven it's not about the creation it's about the creator. And when I gave you guys those little charts, the creator-creature distinction, that is why it's so important that you, you get familiar with that so that you can look at the world and find out where there are pockets of paganism. Pockets of paganism say, well, God can become man, can become animals, can become whatever. No, it says we're all just one continuous blob. This actually sets someone in charge over all the rest and makes us accountable in submission to him. Does does everybody see why that's important? If you make it all one glob across the board, there's no discernible truth and you can become your own God because you set your own standard. It's a complete denial of reality. Verse 20, But Yahweh has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace from Egypt to be a people for his own possession as today. Now the Lord was angry with me on your account and swore that I would not cross the Jordan and that I would not enter the good land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Now, the inclusio major that we're dealing with is 326 to 421. But now we need to turn our little papers over and read about a chiasm. Does anybody have any questions about how we've been marking up the text before we move on? We're We're getting a flavor for everything that's going on, the subject that's being talked about. Anybody got anything? Okay, inclusive, or I'm sorry, chiasm. Back your papers. When a chiasm is used by an author, its focus is the central point, though it may include a climaxing statement at its end as well. Chiasms are recognized by the pattern of repeated terms, concepts, or activities often parallel, but sometimes contrastive that progress to and from the central points. Still, that being said, one must caution against finding chiasms where they do not exist, nor extending them beyond that which the author intends. Larger chiasms would include such works as the Pentateuch, Lamentations, and Matthew's Gospel. In fact, there are some people that actually believe that Ephesians is a chiasm as well. That chapter 1 corresponds with 6, that 2 corresponds with 5, that 3 corresponds with 4. It's interesting. Now, how many people are thoroughly confused what we're doing right now? Excellent. As we play it out, you'll totally get it. So, here's what we do. The idea when you find a chiasm is to ask yourself in the first line that I'm dealing with, is there anything that corresponds with it later on in Scripture? Now, we know just from dealing basic blocks within inclusio that the phrase, The Lord was angry with me on your account starts this situation because we find it repeated in 421. Is everybody with me? So we see that. So here's what you do in that situation. I told you to leave next to your verse numbers open, right? And here's what you do in this. Right here, you want to put an A. This is your thought A going on, okay? Now, what you're going to do when looking for a chiasm, is after you put A there, in other words, your verse will say 26, you want to put A between the number 26 and the start of the sentence, okay? You're going to go all the way down to 21. And you are going to put A here, but you're going to put an apostrophe. Okay? And the reason is, is because you know that 326 and 421 correspond together. They're parallel They're giving you the same idea, phrase, structure. Does everybody see this? Yes? Okay, we haven't gotten this hard, so everybody can't be confused yet. We're still moving from inclusio into chiasm. Now, here's where we're going to take the step. The next step to ask is, is there anything either in the rest of verse 26 or in 27 that corresponds with what is going on somewhere between chapter 4, verses 19 and 20? In other words, is there anything moving in from the top that corresponds with something moving in from the bottom? Do you see how this works? We're actually going to build like a pyramid. If I had a way to structure it like, a, like, like this, we'd start out on both sides, and then we'd come in like this and meet a point, is the idea. Since I can't do that on this piece of paper, or that we didn't have paper bigger than this in order to put this on, we're going to just have to mark it. So I'll read through this. Let's see. Okay, hold on. Lift up your eyes. Who said it? Okay. Okay. You get a cookie. I'm going to bring you. I'm going to bring you a scone tomorrow. There you go. All right. So notice. Go up to the top of Pisgah and lift up your eyes. Pause. Why did she bring that out? Skip all the way down to verse 19. And beware not to what. Lift up your eyes. Now notice this whole idea of lift up your eyes contrasts. Even though it's the same phrase, lift up your eyes, lift up your eyes. Notice that in 27, it's telling you, go to this mountain and lift up your eyes. At the other one, it's saying, beware that you lift up your eyes. Is the phrase same? Absolutely. Is the subject of what you're doing around it opposites? They are. Notice that. One is go do this. The other one is don't do this. So notice they contrast, but they got the same idea. So here's what you find. I have something corresponds here. Under 27, I'm going to put B. And when I go down here to 19, I'm going to put B with an apostrophe. And notice that my B section, uh, 327. Go to the top of Pisgah and lift up your eyes to the west and north and south and east and see it with your eyes for you shall not cross over this Jordan. Look down at verse 19. And beware not to lift up your eyes to heaven and see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the hosts of heaven, and be drawn away and worship them and serve them. Those which Yahweh your Elohim is allotted to the peoples under the whole heaven, but the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace from Egypt to be a people for his own possession as today. Notice that lift up your eyes corresponds. Does everybody see that? Subject matter is different. Phrases correspond. Does everybody see that? Anybody got any questions about it? So we see that it's there, Right? It's right in front of us. Okay, great. So now here's the next question. Is there anything, and I'll go ahead and give you this, because the B section also extends at the top to 327, 328, and 329. It lasts that entire time about what's going on. In chapter 4, verse 1, do you see anything that corresponds with, I'm sorry, yeah, Okay. chapter 4, 1, do you see anything that corresponds with chapter 4, verse 14? Okay, so the idea of statutes and judgments, which I am teaching you to perform, right? Let's circle that whole thing there. Statutes and judgments, which I'm teaching you to perform. It's one whole deal. Now look down at 4.14. The Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments that you might perform. Everybody see that? Notice that they correspond together. So, in chapter 4, verse 1, I'm going to put a C there. Chapter 4, verse 14, I'm going to put a C, apostrophe. And notice that everything that is contained in chapter 4, verses 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18 are a group of thought that corresponds with chapter 4, verse 1 by itself. So we're we're linking up. We're seeing these common phrases used once and then used again towards the end of our inclusio. Does everybody see that? And they're following themselves in. It's, It's closing up the gap. And here's the reason why this is happening is because when we get to the middle letter with nothing to correspond to it, that middle letter is going to say, this is what God wanted you to get out of this entire inclusio. This middle point is the main point. If you don't pay attention to anything else that led to it or coming away from it, this idea is what you need to get. The statutes and judgments, but we're going to get to it. We're going to get to it. The reason why God did this is here, very simple. They don't have exclamation points in Hebrew at this time. Okay? That's really the reason why. English, we would have wrote this different. We would have bold-faced it. Italics, we would have put an underline under it. Or we would have said, get this, all caps, like we're yelling at people kind of thing. That's how we would have handled it today with the technology that we have. At this time, no. They wrote it in a literary structure in order for everything to lead to a point And then to come back down. It's the idea kind of like in a mountain. You're starting here. You're working your way up. And you find out that some of the steps you're taking on the way down were the same ones you were taking up on the other side. The pinnacle is where they want you to get the main point. Does that make sense? Okay, great. So notice here, we're dealing with this statutes and judgments that you might perform. Chapter four, verse one, statute and judgments, which I'm teaching you to perform. Notice that there's a progression. He's teaching the second one, you perform them. Now look at verse two. We're going to read that. But you're also going to find something in chapter 4, verse 13, that corresponds with it. So chapter 4, verse 2, You shall not add to the word which I'm commanding you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I commanded you. Look at chapter 4, verse 13. So he declared to you his covenant, his contract, which he commanded you to perform, that is the Ten Commandments, and he wrote them on two tablets of stone. What corresponds there? Do we know? Okay, notice the whole idea of commanding you to perform something and the idea of commandments being involved. Everybody see that? Perform the commandments. That's the idea. So on on here, 13. Let me see, do I have that on here? Yeah, 13. Let me move it up some. I am going to sit here and I'm going to put perform. That is the Ten Commandments. That's going to be my common thing. And then I'm going to scoot up to chapter 4, verse 2. And I'm going to mark, keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I commanded you. That's the whole idea. The commandments are central in those. And so next to two, I'm going to write D. And next to 13, I'm going to write D. Apostrophe. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Everybody see how nerdy this is? But here's the thing. It's there in the text. And what's great is when you translate it in the English, it doesn't get lost when they translate it. That's what I love about it. The literary structure stands the test of time. God wants to communicate this to us in the same way. So anybody confused? Anybody got any questions so far? Everybody see how we're finding parallels that correspond? They may contrast, but that's what we're getting. Everybody see it? Okay, great. How many people are confused but don't want to raise their hand? Okay, making sure. All right, so now we're going to look at verse 3. Your eyes have seen what the Lord has done in the case of Baal Peor. For all the men who followed Baal Peor, the Lord your God has destroyed them from among you. Now look at verse 10. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when the Lord said, Assemble the people, That I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children. Does anybody see anything corresponding here? Notice I use the word corresponding. Very important for you to get. Anybody know? Well, to fear him is a point. But how does that correspond with what we're seeing in verse 3? Remember, the reason why we went through and kind of bunched these together is because we actually see that 3 and 4 go together, right? But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today, every one of you. What is he teaching them in verse 10? It's the idea of their testimony hearing his voice. I mean, think about what's going on here. If Yahweh assembled them together and taught them for two reasons, so that you will fear me, And so that you can pass it on to your kids. If that's the case, and you're holding fast to Yahweh, are you going to live? Yeah, that's really what we're talking about here, aren't we? Obedience equals life. That's the whole concept that we're talking about here. So when I'm looking at three, three and four are going to go together. And when I'm checking out 10, 10, let's read 11. You came near, stood at the foot of the mountain, the mountain burned with fire from the very heart of heaven, darkness, cloud, thick gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you from the midst of fire. You heard the sound of words, but you saw no form only a voice so notice your eyes have seen what the lord did at baal peor verse 3 notice in the case of baal peor that's where he was whenever this happened that incident notice in 10 remember the day that you stood before the lord your god at where horeb so notice we got opposites but places where god is revealing himself he says here in verse 10 assemble the people let them hear my words to fear me that they may teach their kids up in the top we see, for all, uh, verse 3, for all the men who follow baal the Lord your God has destroyed them from among you. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today, every one of you. Does everybody see that he's trying to push for obedience to what has been said? Does everybody see that that's the concept we're dealing with here? So notice, moving on, verse, uh, let's see here. 3, we're going to mark down E. Verse 3 is E. And it encompasses 4 as well. And then verse 10, we're going to put E. I have that over here. No, you guys can't see that. Verse 10, we're going to have E. Apostrophe. Good. Since I'm from Kentucky, I often say apostrophe, Uh, but that's not right. Now, everybody stick with me because we're almost done. We started a little late. We started five minutes late, so I'm going to keep you 15 minutes late, okay? That's how that works out. My mathematics is great. Uh, So notice the next part, verse 5. See, I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do thus in the land where you are entering to, what's that? Possess it. Now look down at verse nine. Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen, and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life, but make them known to your sons and to your grandsons. Now you're sitting here thinking, Wait a second, that doesn't really add up. Okay, hold on. If that's the case, then we move on a little bit. Look at verse 6. So keep and do them, for that is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Does anybody see how these correspond with verse 9? Does anybody see how verses 5 and 6 correspond with verse 9? Anybody? Okay, so the idea is following his word. And notice the charge in verse 6. So keep and do them, for that is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples. Right? Notice here in verse 9, you have Watch yourselves, keep it, or do it diligently, is the idea. What your eyes have seen all the days of your life, and make it known to your kids. Does everybody see how those correspond? It's the idea of what your life is saying in the land. Does everybody see that? It's how they're living. It's their witness. It's not just a witness to the pagan nations. It's a witness to the kids that they have. Does everybody see that? Yes, no? Okay. So, notice in verse 5 here, we're going to mark this as F. And then when we get here with verse 9, we're going to mark that as F apostrophe. So now here's what's interesting. If 5 and 6 go together, we've come to a crossroads here, right? We've come to a pinnacle point. And the idea is that 7 and 8 are all that we have left. So looking at those, let's read them. 7, for what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as is the Lord our God whenever we call on him? Or what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments as righteous as this whole law which I am setting before you today? Notice that seven is going to be G, and eight is going to be G apostrophe. Now here's what's important about this. A lot of times, according to verse numbers, they are not lined out this easily. Sometimes you will find A and then B in the middle of verse 1. A is the beginning of verse 1, B is in the middle of verse 1, and you have to work with it that way. Those are harder. This is a lot cleaner. If you look at the, the, uh, the whole Tower of Babel incident, chapter 11, I think it is, verses 1 through 9, that's, that's a chiasm. You can actually go through, put that out, mark it on paper, and you can find that it leads to a pinnacle point. The homework for next week is, what is the pinnacle point of the chiasm regarding the Tower of Babel. It's only nine verses. Can't be that hard to work on, right? So I want you to check that out. But here's the thing. What is the main point that God wants the people to get in this, not just inclusio, but the chiasm that he sets up? It is always where it comes to the pinnacle in the middle. Notice what it is. He wants them to understand that he is leading up to this one point. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it, as is the Lord our God, as Yahweh our Elohim, whenever we call on him? What is that? That is intimacy. It's an intimacy with Yahweh the Creator that serves as a witness to the nations. Does everybody see that? How about the next one? Or what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments judgments as righteous as this whole law which I am setting before you today? Notice it's still a witness in this situation. In other words, here's the pinnacle of the point. Yahweh is not like the gods that everyone else worships. He is intimate, and his ways are so righteous that by living them out in society, pagans take notice of what it is. Now you guys know this. We talk about this in the church age, the dispensation of the church. Pastor Steve taught on this a lot. Lifestyle. Evangelism, right? Knowing God's word is only one portion of it. Doing God's word is a whole other aspect. Putting God's word into practice. Why? So I'll look holy. No. Others. It's always others. It's always others. And notice, what is God? I mean, we can actually say this way. It kind of cheapens it a little bit, but let's be honest. God being who he is, he's actually using Israel for a point. What does God want through Israel? What does He want? Yahweh. No. (laughs) What? People to be saved. He wants all the nations around to take note of who He is. He is using Israel as a megaphone by their lifestyle in order to preach the goodness of the Creator to the entire creation. Yeah, these people are twisted up in idolatry. These people serve some sort pagan sex cult. These people are dabbling in peyote over here. These people sacrifice their kids to all kinds of gods and altars and all kinds of messed up stuff. These guys are cutting themselves to bail. Hey, pay attention to me, God that I worship and all this stuff. These people over here in Egypt are worshiping a pantheon of gods. If you live in intimacy with me, you will radiate witness to everyone. That concept does not changed Old or New Testament. The church is not Israel, and Israel is not the church. But guess what? The purpose that God wants to accomplish through them are the same. God is a missional God, and He wants people to take notice. He wants everybody to see, well, yeah, you may have 12 wives. I've got one, and I love her a lot. Well, that's different. Hold on. Yeah, well, you sacrificed your kids, and now you don't have them anymore. I've got 15 of them and i love them a lot well yeah it really grieved my heart when i had to sacrifice my kid but i didn't know what else to do we might not have had green that year does everybody see how the thinking about god twisted does nothing but draw you more into sin now what is that if we go back to the chart i handed out and think about it that's the continuity of being i'm trying to gain acceptance constantly I'm trying to find some way to work so that God will look on me favorably and bless me somehow. What does Christianity say? God loves you unconditionally, provided the means of acceptance for you, and invites you to be part of his family. Once you're past that point, guess what? You're a witness. Now grow, live in intimacy with the God who loves you and gave himself for you, and let the nations around you see it. This is why a complaining Christian is anti-evangelism. cool point isn't it it's a cool point to think that's what god wants us to get now i know what you're thinking how come god didn't just say now here's what i really want you to get out of this be a witness live in intimacy with me how come god i mean you answer it how come god didn't just you know deuteronomy chapter four and a half here it is 4.5 here it is how come god just didn't spell it out like that for you He wants to give you an example. Notice the historical accounts that were included in the Inclusio, right? He gave you a couple of historical accounts about the value of being obedient. So that was a big point. What else? Why do you think God would have taken the time? He wants you to know who he is. It's part of what he uses to reveal himself. Let me ask you this. If you were a Jew at this time, getting ready to cross over into the land, Moses is communicating all of this to you. Somebody's writing it down and you're having to think about what's going on there to see it. Do you think that you would have picked up more readily on the inclusio and the chiastic structure? Do you think that you would have picked up on it being a Jew who was familiar with that way of writing? Yeah, we don't even think about picking up on exclamation points, do we? We just know that person's really excited about something. And we take it for granted. It's just a given. Notice, if we put ourselves in their sandals at that time, They would have just gotten this. Oh, this is what God wants us to get out of it. And they would have noticed it meets to a point and it comes back down. That's what he wants us to get. You can find this all throughout your Bible study. The gospel of John, John loved inclusios and stuff like that. He loves them and he uses them all over the place. And it's all because here's a unit of thought and God wants you to get this one huge message out of this. That not mean the rest of the Word of God is not the inspired Word of God. That's not what we're saying. But we're saying that He draws emphases that He really wants us to grasp. So thank you for being patient. Are there any questions or comments or anything about this? The, I'm glad you asked. The homework for next week. In fact, take out your Bible. Turn with me to Genesis. And I'll even help you a little bit with it. Genesis chapter 11. Look at verse 1. Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. Everybody see that? Look down at verse 9. Therefore its name was called Babel, or Babel, however you want to say it, Because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth. And from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. Everybody see verse 1, the whole earth used the same language. Verse 9, the language of the whole earth. Everybody see that? There's your A and your A apostrophe. Now you can work in from there. And the idea is, what is the big idea that God wanted? Because here's the thing. Was there a lot more that was going on in Babel than what's written down here? Yeah, there was. But Moses was commanded to write it this way by Yahweh. Remember, Moses wasn't around when this happened. He was commanded to write it down from Yahweh in order to stress one particular point that he wanted to memorably and lovingly as a Christian punch us in the mouth with so we wouldn't forget it. He wants to say, get this out of the whole thing. And the question is, what is that central point? Sound good? All right, let's pray. God, thank you that you have inspired the Word, even down to the point of the very letters involved, the structure, the syntax, all of it, Father. You've placed it all here for us to uncover and to know. And Father, I pray that what we get, the big idea that we get out of today is that we would live in intimacy with you, confessing sin, spending time in the Word, calling upon your name for rescue and help and deliverance, cultivating that relationship with you focusing our minds upon your word and the promises that are in it so that we would live such lives that radiate a witness for your glory. Father, use us for your purposes. And I pray, God, that we could be used for such noble purposes as winning the nations to the Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.